This is the Otaku Nate Show, episode 14. Dan Gayo, Sidekick Wave. Cross fight, cross fight, cross fight. Just cross for What is up, anime fans? Otaku Nate here with another installment of the Otaku Nate Show, the anime podcast where we talk about anime that we want to talk about. Joining me this week, we've got my boy Race. Hello there, Nate. How's it going, pal? It's going good. Um, I guess I should kind of explain where I've been all this time and why we are not reviewing Kino's Journey. So, I had Kino's Journey penciled in but sometimes these things happen that cause delays, and so I figured, you know what, I'm just going to move on to what I was going to review next. Don't worry, Kino's Journey will happen as a review down the line, but for now, I just want to move this show forward and not have it delayed indefinitely. Also, I had to go in for surgery. I had this little cyst that was developing on my upper lip. It started off what I thought was a pimple, but it just slowly started getting larger and larger, and I was worried that it was, like, something cancerous or whatever. I went to this really nice uh, Polish doctor. He checked it over. It was not a tumor, thankfully, but was, like, a granule anoma, I think it is. I don't know what the medical term for it is, but they knocked me out for about a half hour. I woke up. My lips were swollen, but the thing is gone. And unless you look closely at my face, you would not know that I had surgery on my upper lip. Did they fix that mustache? No. (laughs) Well, I'm glad that you're doing all right. Thanks for being here, Nate. And I'm glad that you're safe and that the surgery went well. I'm glad you're here too, Race, because today we are going to be talking about Dan Gallo, also known as... Hyper Combat Unit, Dangayo, Evil Crushing Great Star, Dangayo, Great Planet Evil Destroyer, Dangayo, or, put it simply, Dangayo. It is a three-episode OAV that was released from 1987 to 1989 by Artmic and AIC, so we're already off to a good start there in terms of production, because if you see those two names on an OAV, you know it's going to be good. Absolutely. Every time I see AIC on a production, I go, okay, I know I'm going to like this somehow. There's always going to be a great creative team behind the work. And uh, it always makes me pop. And one of my first OVAs or OAVs, whatever you want to call it, was the Tenchi Muyo OVAs from 1992. And those were done by AIC and Pioneer. Those two, great relationship when they create something as well. So always in good hands with AIC in my personal opinion. Yeah, I checked their Wikipedia page. They apparently have not put out anything since 2015, which makes me very worried. But what they have put out uh, ever since the, what, late 70s, it's been gold in my personal opinion. They're one of those studios like Tokyo Movie Shinsha that everybody seems to underrate. I agree with you, Nate, but I will say that episodes two and three have Artmic behind it, and I think you and I are going to agree about where... Artmic went wrong with this OVA. Well, we'll see. But you mentioned Staff earlier. This Mm -hmm. series was created and subsequently directed by a man who I am absolutely certain is a maniac, and that is Toshiki Hirano. He's had a very long and storied career in the world of anime and even manga, because outside of this, he also directed and did the character designs for all things Ixer. He also directed Hades Project Zeorimer, along with both anime adaptations of Vampire Princess Miyu, a manga that he did the story for with his now-wife, Narumichi Kikuchi, and he also directed Devilman Lady and Apocalypse Zero. Let's not forget Magic Knight Ray Earth, which Oh, is... yeah! Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a big one for me. 
And I it's I always find it's funny that Hirano-san has a connection to Magic Knight Ray or being a, the director because Clamp gets its dirty little fingers in everything that anyone does. So when they bring in whatever director uh, or whatever creative team, Clamp at the end of the day has their claws in it. So you would never think that Hirano-san directed Magic Knight Ray Earth, but he did. And Toshiki Hirano is still active and kicking today. He's done storyboard things on a few projects, including Go Danner, which is a show that I really want to talk about because it's one of my all-time favorites. And one of his most recent efforts, he directed the only Netflix anime that you need to watch. He did the 2018 adaptation of Baki. Which, that is crazy. That is awesome. I'm glad that Baki is still going, you know? Grappler Baki. Hey, it's one of the longest-running uh, shonen, or rather, seinen manga out there. I think the only things that dwarf it, and I know I'm wrong on this, but that are still actively going today, are One Piece and Hajime no Ippo. Which, that's wild as well. Now, circling back to Ixer 1 and Dangayo, those are very similar in look when we get to that so of course being a character designer and director for Ixer 1 and Dangayo the first time I ever saw Dangayo is like these two are the same things are they in the same universe you know my naive little kid mind thought you know 11 year old watching Dangayo for the first time after just watching Ixer 1 going this has to be the same guy but yeah absolutely stacked resume so uh Nate what's next on the menu for uh one of the big creators behind this show, the stacked, stacked cast of characters we have here. Well, hold on. We're going to get to that. <laughs> but I have a question for you, Race. Absolutely. What's up? What is Dan Gallo about? <laughs> okay. Uh, okay, so Dan Gallo is about four teenagers and basically there was a doctor who was like i'm gonna sell these kids into slavery and he has a cute little pet and he has to sell these guys to the banker the bunker i don't know all i have is, uh, is on vhs and so these uh four teenagers get into some scuffles with every anime stereotype you'll ever run into while being anime stereotypes themselves and only one of them has the backstory you should care about because honestly, at the end of the day, not too pertinent to the plot. But there you go. That's the story of Don Gaio. Basically, four typical average teens with psychic powers that are cyborgs who fight all kinds of anime stereotypes. And my favorite anime stereotype, Husbando, Daddy, Gilberg. Oh. <laughs> Oh, we'll get to him. He's pretty much, he sells the show, in my personal opinion. So, where did you first hear of Dan Gaio, and what were your first impressions of it? Dan Gaio has honestly been in my VHS collection since I've been younger. I've gone through a couple of copies of it, because you just, over the years, you're like, oh, you gotta see this, and you, either you never get the tape back because it was hard to find, or you sell it because you need the money at the time, and it still goes for a decent price, the original U.S. renditions VHS, but I've been aware of it for a long time. My dad's friend, who, who he used to work with at GM, was a big anime fan, and that's where I got Don Gaio along with Ixer 1, and then I saw the similarities right there. And so I've been aware of it for a long time, but I've always liked it. And back then when I didn't really care about directors or the stacked staff that uh, shows like this have or cared about studios or anything, I just thought that this thing was just, you could put it on, you could put it on with friends, you could kind of walk away with it or just sort of ignore it and still have a great time watching it every time you look back because it was just such a high action OVA. But yeah, one of my dad's work buddies who was super into anime just gave it to me when I was like 11 and was just like, here you go. <laughs> I wish my dad had a co-worker that was into anime. Yeah, he was a good guy, actually. He got me started on a lot of stuff, uh, like I said, Ixer 1 and uh, things like that. So I had access to a lot of uh, great 80s OVAs and I just really enjoyed it and I just thought it was one of the coolest things and I kind of poked you really hard to uh, make sure that you've seen this because I think that it's the master class on what to do with an OVA and what not to do with an OVA <laughs> at the same time absolutely it's this chaotic perfection that's why I really like Dan Gaio well my first encounter with Dan Gaio 
I was looking over the staff of Godanner, and it turns out that a lot of people say, oh, if you like Godanner, well, go and check out Gravion, because Gravion and Godanner came out roughly around the same time, and Gravion had these peculiar character designs, and I checked, the character designer was Masami Obari, and I had heard of him through podcasts and checking forums, and so I looked through his resume, and that's where I found Dan Gaio, but I never really saw that many reviews of it, and the few that I saw were mixed for reasons we'll get into. For a while, you thought that Ixer and Dan Gaio were the same thing? I thought that Dan Gaio was a sequel to Dan Cougar, because they both have the first syllable and the same amount of syllables in their name, Dan Cougar, Dan Gaio. But it wasn't until you provoked me into reviewing this that I actually went and watched it, and I have to agree with you that Dan Gaio is sort of the embodiment of everything both great and terrible about the 80s OAV scene. But as we go on in this review, we will find that the good stuff outweighs the bad stuff. But before we move any further, I just want to issue a disclaimer. If you see the manga video DVD release at your local thrift shop and you're thinking, yeah, Dan Gaio, I have one piece of advice. Do not buy the manga video release of this. Because manga video decided in their infinite wisdom, hmm, well this thing is three episodes long. Yeah, that first episode doesn't matter. The second episode has a long recap. Let's just put episodes two and three on a DVD and just hope that nobody notices that we left the first episode off. The manga video DVD also has a terrible English dub. I wish I watched the dub because I really love the old manga UK dubs as cheesy as they are. I, at this point, manga entertainment is not going to get your money, Nate. I think it's okay. I, I wish I could rub your back and tell you that it's okay to buy it because honestly, the DVD has this wonderful, it's not Monster Island quality of bad with, with English dubs, but it's just one of those things that they didn't know what they were doing. They couldn't understand the story. It's so bland. Well, when you... <laughs> It's perfectly bland. Well, imagine for a moment if the cast of, say, Full Metal Alchemist had to dub the show, the original Fullmetal Alchemist from 2003, without seeing the first episode, and they only dubbed episodes two onward. That's pretty much what happened with Dan Gaio. And what's ironic is that US Renditions, the original distributor, released all three OAVs on VHS. But manga yeah. decided, nah, that first episode ain't important. <laughs> and uh, at one time I had all three episodes, and fun fact about the U.S. renditions VHS is that there are minor spelling errors in all three episodes. And the first episode actually has a couple of glaring spelling errors where the main villains are called the bankers, I believe, instead of the bunker. And also there's a special attack near the end of the first episode that was renamed Sidekick Wave. Because That's they say it in English, you know, they go psycho wave and they all say it together. Well, the translators got it wrong and decided to call it sidekick wave. It's been a big meme in the vintage anime community for a while. Once in a while, you kind of see it come up where it's sidekick wave. You'll just see the picture. Uh, you'll see, I believe, Pi, because <laughs> she. They, that's where it says sidekick wave, and you just see Pi sitting there. Brings back so many memories, because for years I thought that that attack was called sidekick wave. And now you know where the episode's subtitle comes from. And if I'm not mistaken, the newer releases actually do fix the subtitles. Yes, the fan subs that I watched, because I had to pirate this thing, because I'm not paying money for that crappy DVD, and I'm not a VHS collector. You're missing out. Uh, no, I'm not. <laughs> but now that we've gotten all the superfluous stuff out of the way, let's talk about this thing proper. And as always with our reviews, we start with the animation. And holy balls, folks, this thing looks incredible. Absolutely. No matter if you watch it on VHS or Blu-ray, holy cow, this thing honestly looks great. And there's two names behind it that that just blows you away animation wise. I mean, this thing looks fantastic from 
the opening theme song to the last minute of the first episode. You're just like, wow, this thing is really sharp. Sadly enough, the second and third episode, which are still really good, I think direction-wise, and that is definitely by uh, Hirano's doing, because the show story-wise does go off the rails. But the animation throughout the whole thing is pretty consistent, but that first episode is just... It is anime 80s excess, like 80s anime excess right there, you know? It's wonderful. It is absolutely gorgeous, and especially if you watch the Blu-ray remasters of episodes 1 and 2, it is amazing what Blu-ray restorations have done to anime. And I understand that not all Blu-ray anime restorations have looked good. I know the J9 trilogy... It doesn't look all that great because its masters are unknown, so they had to use masters from a Laserdisc or somewhere else, and those masters are incredibly grainy, but the remasters of Dangayo are crisp, they're beautiful, all the little details in the movement, in the backgrounds, you just don't get this level of detail anymore when it comes to anime. If you want to know why I'm biased in my preference to sell animation over digital, Dan Gaio is one of the many examples I'll tell you. Even the opening is a feast for your eyes. Like I said, once again, it is 80s anime excess. Like that in the opening uh, to Daikon 4, if I'm not mistaken. That Am is I right correct. there? The opening to Daikon 4, those are two milestones and just like wow that's like three or four minutes of my life that i'm glad i spent sitting watching a stupid japanese cartoon and it, that was the 1980s and this is the penultimate anime that you need to watch if you kind of want to get into why people still like anime from the 1980s or why people are sort of starting to be attracted to it. People who used to never be attracted to 80s anime now, like you were saying with the Blu-ray restorations, they're taking a look at it. And even with the standard definitions on Blu-ray, people are taking a look at it and going, you know what, maybe I was wrong about this being old fart stuff. It always makes me happy when people go out of their way to watch older anime as opposed to the latest and greatest question mark. But one other aspect that we have to talk about since this is a robot show after all. Dan Gaio is a mecha show. I don't know if we mentioned that or not. It doesn't the, feel like one, but it it is. The mecha in this look incredible again. How would you describe the designs of these robots? How would I describe them the best? Once again, 1980s excess. And since we haven't really uh, spoken about the main designers of the whole show and who the animation director was because we haven't revealed them, I can't really explain well enough. I would have to give it away. I would have to give it away. And the best way to describe it, like I said, just the ultimate 80s excess. I mean, think of the Zeta Gundam designs that were really wacky and stupid. And then you have basically throw in some go Nagai. So you take a pot and you're just like, all right, all the mecha designs from Zeta Gundam. Oh yeah. We need some go Nagai in there. So you just, you know, throw a bunch of go Nagai in there. Let's see what else does every super robot show from the seventies and shinier. And then a whole bunch of just, machismo or whatever just throw it in there put it in a blender and just hope for the best i mean that's that's the best way to describe what the mecha are like and they're so energetic they're so wild you know our mecha itself the hyper combat unit dangayo is a combiner mech which wasn't popular in the late 80s wild stuff just the most crazy ideas thrown together are the mecha designs it's four jets that combine into one giant robot. And I agree with you on the excess. Especially when we talk about who one of the mecha designers was for this series. But my favorite design in this is actually not Dan Gaio itself. Although the aesthetics of the robots remind me a lot of Guy King. Because some of them have this face looking thing in the center. Would you agree with me? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. There is a face there. The monsters are also well-designed in this show, too. But my favorite designs are the ships for the bunker. These 
techno-organic looking things that open up like a jaw and fire lasers. Those are beautiful. They look like the Zentradi ships from Macross, transplanted oh, into oh. a whole new world. Absolutely. So that brings up our next person. And Nate, let's tell him who our mechanical designer was for this show. Well, we got to talk about the talent because the man responsible for this gorgeous animation and striking mecha designs, for the robots anyway, is none other than Masami Obari. And that man has a stacked resume himself. Uh, Obari, some reviewers or some people may give the guy a bad rap, but the 80s and 90s were really his heyday. And this is why the animation direction, it's bombastic. It is excessive. It is flamboyant. That's because of Masami Obari. If you were to contrast Obari's mech designs with somebody like, say, Kunio Okawara of Gundam fame... Okawara is very calculated and simplistic with his designs. It's a group of simple geometric shapes stacked together in a simple and sleek design. Obari is decidedly not like that. His designs are very angular, very spindly and pointy. Like, if he makes a mistake when he draws a mecha, he leaves that mistake in there. Like, oh no, I drew this appendage hanging off the side too long. Eh, you know what? That's aesthetically pleasing. I'll keep that in there. Absolutely. Have you ever seen uh, Masami Obari? There was a, a Japanese magazine where he drew the the new Gundam, and he had Yoshiki Tomino. Uh, they photoshopped. They added in Yoshiki Tomino uh, sitting in the Gundam's hand or standing in the Gundam's hand. Have you ever seen that picture? No, I haven't, but I did see the artwork he did for Gridman. When you finally get to see Obari's take on a Gundam, you're just like, oh, because so, it was a promo for Char's Counterattack, which has a, sh- a stacked resume itself. But Obari drew the new Gundam, and it's absolutely gorgeous. I love the way he draws Mecha. His character designs, for me, are kind of an acquired taste for certain people. I know that somebody has compared him to, say, Rob Liefeld, but I think that comparison is way too harsh. I think it's harsh as well. Um, Later on in his career, yes, he gets more sloppy and lazy, but with Dangayo, the characters look all look great. Well, it's Hirano that did the designs. Right. He did the designs, but the animation direction, there's a touch of Obari in there. Absolutely. Especially with uh, how the women look. Well, one in particular we'll get to, (laughs) but it's not just Obari who did mecha designs for this because some of the other mecha designers on here include, there were two other mecha designers who are credited, at least on Anime News Network. One of the other mecha designers, and also the guy who wrote part of Dangayo, is Koichi Ohada. He was mecha designer on things like Gunbuster and Shars Counterattack, and he also did both Galveon and Laserion. As a director, though, oh boy. This guy hits well below the Mendoza line in terms of quality, because he directed Cybernetics Guardian, Genocyber, and MD Geist. <laughs> Which are pretty much considered two of the bad part of the 80s excess that we love to go on about. I thought Genocyber was 90s, but... Genocyber was early 90s, yeah, yeah, but Genocyber is honestly one of those things where you go, wow, that looks great, and then the next scene you're going, oh, that's terrible. (laughs) He also directed Burst Angel, which is a show that is the pinnacle of mediocrity, and one that I want to revisit because when I did a video review of it, I felt I was too harsh on it, but I still think it sucks. And the past decade and change, he's mostly shifted away from Mecha to fan service anime because he directed three seasons of Icky Tosin and Mockin' Key. Well, I'm going to say one thing. The man knows where to make the money. Eh, I guess he does. But the other major Mecha designer who is both a good Mecha designer and a great director is Shoji Kawamori. Oh, and one of my honest-to-God favorite directors. He's fantastic. Just anything that his name on, in my personal opinion, I will honestly pop for. It's something that I really like. But I will say 
Uh, sure, he's had his hand in Damon X Machina, which is a mecha game that I wholly dislike. I still really just enjoy the man's absolute resume. It's it's stacked. One big thing that I was actually going to bring up now that we've revealed our mechanical designer and our animation director is that the mecha designs are pretty much Obari and Kawamori. I'm sure these men, if they were in a room together again, they would probably fight over Dangaya or something because it's a mashup of both of their designs. Kawamori and Obari, if you're trying to think of what the mecha would look like and the best way to describe it, you have two brilliant minds clashing together. It's like peanut butter and thumbtacks, sort of. (laughs) But that's what makes it great, how these two prominent creators in, uh, in the history of anime ended up working together and making this beautiful train wreck happen in a way. And that's why I wanted to wait until we brought up Kawamori and Obari, because that's what the mecha look like. That's what everything looks like. It's just everything is there. And then you put Hirano with his Ixer 1 style. I mean, you would be amazed that I, I don't see women making out in this one, unlike Ixer 1. Well, Ixer 1 is a Yuri manga, I believe. It doesn't matter. I mean, we still have that kind of stuff going on, but not too much in Dangaya, which is kind of sad, but it's a mecha anime. <laughs> I can definitely see the planes that make up Dangaya belonging to Kawamori, but the robot itself is very much an Obari design. Oh, absolutely. But the three main men who worked on this thing, Hirano, Kawamori, and Obari, I'm amazed that they could all come to terms on how this show looks and goes because it's all over the place, but in the best way possible. And there's one last name that I have to mention is one of the writers on this was Noboru Sho Aikawa, most famous for being the writer of the 2003 adaptation of Fullmetal Alchemist and Martian successor Nadesco. Recently, he wrote Concrete Revolutio. He's also written for several tokusatsu shows. Namely, he wrote Super Sentai Bokenger, Geki Ranger, and Go Onger. He also wrote parts of Kamen Rider Blade and Kamen Rider Decade. And he also wrote Violence Jack and Urotsuki Doji. Oh, come on. Don't be so harsh on show. Those are great. <laughs> Come on, Violence Jack is one of the most beautiful things ever, okay? It made Mars Girl go crazy. Well, maybe that was kayfabe, but still, Violence Jack has made people go crazy. Or at least get people upset. So thank you, Shoakawa, for that. Bennett the Sage won't even touch Violence Jack, but Kaiser Beams did. (laughs) I remember that one. And he regrets every minute of it own violence jack and i i love it i hop up and down like a uh, 60s batman villain when it's on but i think we've said enough for the animation and the staff that worked on it it's gorgeous it exemplifies why the 80s was such a great decade for anime animation wise now we move on to the sound portion and we have even more talent in the audio department because the music for this was scored by michiaki chumei watanabe Absolutely. The music here is fantastic. The The whole soundtrack, uh, just there's so much action behind it. There's so much movement behind it. What I really do love about the music of the show is that once again, it's the excess of the 80s. There's horns, there's rock guitar, drum samples, keyboards. It's all there. But then you have these moments where there's a huge orchestral score. That's what the 80s really was when it came to anime. And when you want to show someone baby's first 80s anime, not just the animation, but the sound, the soundtrack. It's like, this is what it was like. This is what it was like. And and just a fantastic soundtrack. I call him Mr. Mazinger because he did the score to practically everything in Mazinger. He did Mazinger Z, Great Mazinger. He didn't do Grendizer, but he did the Grendizer movies. He also did the music to Lazerion and the aforementioned favorite of mine, Godanner. And you can tell that this thing has a very 70s tinge to it with the use of brass instrumentals. 
According to Anime News Network, though, a lot of the music in Dangayo is just reused from some of his older scores. And I can confirm that I did hear a lot of the music used in Dangayo in Godanner, but I didn't notice it. But that's probably because I had never heard any of the scores he did beforehand. But now that I have, even if it's reused music, goddamn, is that some good music? Absolutely, I I concur. It really it really works with the the soundtrack. Uh, really plays to the animation very well, and of course uh, with Watanabe doing the soundtrack and having such a huge resume behind him already with Mecha Anime and Tokusatsu shows, he was able to take Dangayo to the next level. And it does have some holdovers from the seventies, which I agree, but. At this point, he's adjusted enough to the 80s where there are uh, some rock. There's some 80s rock in there that make it work. So that's what I have to say about the soundtrack. And it's just, yeah, it's fantastic. Indeed it is. And the best part of the soundtrack is the opening theme. Dude, Cross Fight is an absolute banger theme. And it is sung... By two of the golden voices of anime, Mitsuko Horie and our favorite Aniki, Ichiro Mizuki. Ichiro Mizuki, you can just hear that wonderful vibrato when he sings because everything he sings is so full of conviction. And Crossfight is is such a fantastic song. Uh, Mizuki, he's... Just fantastic throughout all of the years of his work. And also, here's another funny thing. Gosh, didn't he sing all the themes for Mazinger, too? Yes, he did. So, I mean, think about it. That Grand Mazinger is actually one of my favorite uh, themes that Mizuki sings. But, uh, yeah, you can just tell that the creators, the three big creators, uh, Hirano Kawamori and Obari... I would say that they really tried to pull from the stuff that they liked from the 70s, and you can really tell, and just really gave it that 80s shine to it. But you can tell that the reason why this thing was stacked was because you had some younger guys who had a little bit of experience under their belt to get all of these experienced and well-known people and say, we need this done. And... Crossfight is just one of those big things that you could tell they probably spent a good amount of the sound budget on. I want to say this is my favorite Ichiro Mizuki song, but my heart will always belong to the Captain Harlock theme. Absolutely. That one is, uh, that one's really great. Like, yeah, Mizuki definitely has a fantastic resume under his belt. And he's still going to this day. Absolutely. Can't kill the man. He's like a cockroach. And such a stylish man as well. That man does not age. (laughs) He's a vampire, by the way. I found that out last week. (laughs) Him and his red leather Michael Jackson jacket. And the perfect scarf. And that hair. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Yeah, Mizuki has just a timeless look and a timeless voice. music and especially just showing up all over anime and many many top selling records under his belt as well outside of doing songs for anime he did a 24-hour concert once i'll have to look that up sometime i bet that was just insane i don't know if it's available or not but one thing that is available to us is that in addition to having a stacked animation staff and a stacked soundcast we also have a stacked voice cast and this is where you come in because you're able to uh identify seiyus a lot better than i am but there's one thing we miss we miss cheap thrills which episode three that theme song is really good too i don't know it's it's i think it's a step down from crossfight just the uniqueness of crossfight as a song in the context of the 80s Fair enough. I guess I like Cheap Thrills because it's a little bit more rock and roll and uh, it's a bit more of the, I guess, rock that was coming out at the time at the end of the hair metal era. So it kind of feels like that sort of that dirty rock and roll thing. And I do like that one. I think that 
both opening themes are really great as well as both ending themes because we have Mitsuko Hori coming back for the first ending theme. And so, you know, when we talk about the music in general, yeah, Crossfight steals the show. Absolutely. But we really cannot uh, forget about the uh, first ending theme. What's that one called? I Something not- about honesty. Kokoro no honesty, it is called. Yeah. I just remember that because it's in the lyrics. <laughs> overall, the voice cast, and this, this is where you shine. So, the voice cast. And here is where I bore all of you with my list. Our main heroine, Mia Alice, is voiced by Mayumi Sho, most famous as Chi-Chi in Dragon Ball Z. More famously, the only male of our group of pilots, Roll Karan, is voiced by Akira Kamiya. That's how you know this thing came out in the 1980s, is that you have Akira Kamiya playing the main character. Among his other famous roles from the 80s include Roy Foker from Macross, Ryo Sayaba from City Hunter, Kinikuman, and of course, the voice that he'll forever be known for, he's the voice of Kenshiro. Akira Kamiya is definitely the name that I recognize, is honestly the, the biggest name that I recognize here. But what he does with his voice in Dangayo, I'm amazed that he was able to play a teenager. <laughs> yeah, because I'm so used to deep voice Akira Kamiya. Absolutely. And so when we have him here as role, and also being, I do have to spoil something, just his character and demeanor, you wouldn't think unless you looked it up. Lamba Gnome is voiced by Maya Okamoto famous for being Emma Sheen from Zeta Gundam, Yuki Sato in Silent Mobius, and Harumi in Irresponsible Captain Tyler. And the hot-blooded one, Pai Thunder, is voiced by Naoko Matsui, famous for being Sonoko Suzuki in Detective Conan, Inez Frisange in Nadesco, and Dorothy Catalonia in Gundam Wing. Our two villains, Dr. Tarsen, is voiced by Takeshi Aono. He was Sonata in the original space battleship Yamato, I'll always remember him as the old man mechanic from Redline. And Gilberg is voiced by the almighty Shigeru Chiba, the narrator from Fist of the North Star and countless other things. And he was also Shutaro Mendo in Urusei Yatsura. And he's even had some live action roles. That's a big name as well. There's tons of other seiyu in this cast that I don't want to name because we'll be here all day. But the two that stick out, the people who sung the theme song... Mitsuko Horie and Ichiro Mizuki, they're in this show. They do voiceovers. Sadly enough, they're not in the show long enough. That's the sad thing. I was honestly shocked when I looked at his resume that Ichiro Mizuki didn't do more voiceovers. Because Mitsuko Horie has quite a few notches on her resume in terms of significant roles. She was Akko-chan and Sailor Galaxia in Sailor Moon Stars. But outside of Dan Gaio and a few other things, not that many appearances from Ichiro Mizuki. I think that makes sense when you have a singing career. You wouldn't, you wouldn't want to work as a uh, voice actor if you didn't have to in a successful and long-lasting singing career. But that's going to do it for the voice cast now we move on to the show proper and do we even need to talk about the characters well i think i've explained it at the beginning four typical average teens that are anime stereotypes are placed into a giant robot thanks to a crazy doctor that has a cute little pet and that's it and they fight other anime stereotypes well should i go into them in detail or should i just fire them off lightning round style well, we should fire them off lightning round style, and uh, they're all one-dimensional characters. And honestly, it surprises me that I can still watch this show, because our four main characters are all one-dimensional, and oddly enough, it works for me. Every I would... time I watch it, I go, I like it! <laughs> I wouldn't say they're one-dimensional per se, But they're very simple in their character designs. One-dimensional is, oh, I don't know, Shu from Guilty Crown. 
I'm just talking about their personalities, not what they look like or anything, because the four main characters, unless they had that one strong personality trait for each of their characters, they would all be forgettable. And in my personal opinion, I think Roll is the most forgettable (laughs) until episode three. And he's just there. Mia, I think she steals the show. She is your typical pacifist. Oh, I don't want to get into trouble. (laughs) And then Lamba Gnome, she is the, oh, I'm such a happy little girl. And she, what, was a princess or something like that? So she actually has the deepest backstory of all the good guys. (laughs) And then Pi, like you said, the hot-blooded girl that's just like, oh, we need to fight. And if we don't fight, then we're going to die. She's just there. She's in your face. That's just what she does. And honestly, if you didn't have that with your character dynamic, you would have nothing in this show. The villains would, honestly, you'd be rooting for them the whole time. (laughs) Yeah, Mia, I honestly found Mia to be the least memorable of the three because at least Roll got a whole episode to himself. Like, Mia, she seemed to have a backstory because she came from Earth but they don't do much exploration with her character. No, all they go, all they do is they go to Earth, and then she's like, oh, Earth, that's really nice. Hey, you can't stay here anymore. You gotta go save the galaxy. Aww. That's pretty much what they do with her character. And she goes, well, gosh, okay. Yeah, the pacing with Mia's character arc, it's just so abrupt. (laughs) <laughs> it's it's kind of like one of those things when you're a little kid and you want something really bad that's pretty expensive and you go on about it and you go on about it to your parents for so long but then they find a cheaper alternative and you just go okay after you've done lashed out at your parents for so long as a small child that's what Mia Alice's character is it's basically She makes a big stink about it for five minutes, and then they go, well, we got to go save the universe, and she's just like, oh, I want to be back to Earth. (laughs) And then they're like, nope, we got to save the universe or whatever, and she's like, okay, we'll give you candy. Okay. (laughs) Would you say she's the Lee Carvalho's putting challenge of the group? I would definitely say so, but I would say the NES golf of the group uh, would thanks to episode three would be roll cran and the original Nintendo golf is my favorite of the NES golf games. Yeah. Roll. He's basically just there to be the main pilot and that's it. Right. Until they give him that. uh, I would say with Roll's character, what they do with him best is they actually do make him a reluctant hero in the third episode, even though in the first two episodes, which this doesn't make sense. He's all gung ho and for it right away. When we get into episode one and all the characters meet, they're just like, yo, you're a cyborg too. Yo, you're a cyborg. Yeah. What up? We're teenagers. Let's go save the galaxy or whatever. Yeah. They, uh, they, they all meet, um, in what is effectively this big training exercise, fighting off robots with hammers for arms. Yeah, which I think is the best part. I would say that out of all of the main characters, we're we're going to have to get to the fifth main character, which I've talked about, which we've talked about. The main, the good doctor himself is what well, I like got, to call uh, him. We've got, but, two, we've got two more to go through. Yeah, and, that's uh, the thing. And they're one-dimensional. I would say Lamba, ugh, fine. She has episode two. But Pi gets nothing, which is kind of sad because you think that Miss Sass herself would get something, and she doesn't. There's a revelation about her at the end of episode one, but it doesn't go anywhere. No, not at all. Not at all. I'll say this, though. Her design is my favorite. Because, and we didn't mention this, but all four of these characters have superpowers. Mia Alice has the ability to generate psychic fields around her and create barriers around others. Roll Karan... It basically becomes a human psychic wave, but only when he is running. So he's kind of like the Flash. Lamba has the most useless power. She can shoot like these little psychic beams from her fingers that can cut people in half. But she only has a limited amount of psychic energy for it. So yeah, she's useless. And Pi gets super strength. 
And you know what? You get to see this in the in the opening credits. They don't even try to reveal it. They just go, all right, you saw the training exercise, right? Well, look at what they do. And Lamba, actually, her animation for when she shoots her little laser and looks all meek after is like one of it's it's really cute in in the opening theme song. But it's like, yeah, you don't really see her do anything like that in the show. She just goes, oh, I'm out of psychic energy. But in the opening credits, she's just like, boom, blows up a ship and goes, teehee, sorry. <laughs> That's what she does. It, they put so much time into giving those traits out and their superpowers out in the opening credits. You could watch the opening credits and have someone tell you the rest of it. And you'd go, yeah, I think I've seen Don Gallo. <laughs> but now One we have to move on to the best character in the whole show, Dr. Tarsen. Absolutely. Dr. Tarsen is the whole reason why these four titular teens, as well as some other characters in the show, which is pretty crazy. And he is a great character. He has a side, he has a, a pet sidekick that's cute. Uh, he is your basic. I would I would just say he's your basic. That's why I call him the good doctor is because he's your basic mad scientist character. That's why I think he's so fantastic is because his character trait was basically, hey, we need a bad scientist to put this all together. Wait, 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 wait. You mean four teenagers with special powers isn't enough? No, no, no. We need we need your basic mad scientist to bring it all together. But let's just make it super anime. That's the best part. I describe Dr. Tarsan as a 70s anime villain that is not evil. When you start off Dan Gaio, you think that he's the big bad of the series. He's the one who captured our heroes and that he's going to hold them hostage and they have to escape his lair. But later on, you find out, oh, he's not a bad guy. He's just doing this against his wishes. He's misunderstood and uh, solely misunderstood. I love his big motivation that he was trying to get rich quick kind of thing and then he realized that his get rich quick scheme is way worse than anyone who's ever tried a multi-level uh, marketing plan he steals any scene that he's in just the sheer cheesiness of his whole presence just the gleefulness and the way he moves he is such a memorable character and easily the best of this whole thing i would say that that is for another main antagonist in this show but yeah dr tarson is pretty much this is 80s excess but you could tell that there are some runovers from the 70s in this show and dr tarson is he has so much charisma he's funny every time you see him he's just animated he's there you want to see him fail but you don't at the same time that's why i was gonna say it's like his plan is to, he just has such a hair brain scheme to try to get rich off of teenagers and then when he realizes his plan doesn't work i just love his change of heart and at first it's feigned but then after a while he just he grows as a character i think he's the flash in the pan of a well-rounded character in the show because you could tell with every other character in the show bunch of anime stereotypes but dr tarzan yes he does start off as that stereotypical anime mad scientist but yeah he does kind of grow and he's the only one that grows well maybe roll he has perhaps the biggest arc in the series and that says something about our main characters when the guy who starts off as a villain has the biggest character arc of them all absolutely so that's just one of our villains though now we move on to the real villain of this thing Everybody's favorite WWF jobber, Gilberg. <laughs> WWF jobber would be right for Gil, but he is honestly the coolest bad guy you can have. What is um, with that eye of his? That's what I want to know. Well, I, uh, they explain it in the show, or at least attempt to, but then they, they honestly like trail off with the story. But I love the fact that his eye is that motivation why he hates the Dangayo crew. Well, he gouges out one of his eyes in the first episode, and then he has, like, the cybernetic eye, 
Like, in one scene, he has, like, this sort of cybernetic eye implant that we never see again. But that's the best part, and he blames it. It's a self-inflicted loss, but he blames it on the Dangayo crew. That's his, like, big motivation. That's why I like Gilbert. But if you, if you do you feel that same way? That's why I like Gilbert. He's just kind of like, oops! You know, he stubs his toe and blames it on the dog. <laughs> I stubbed my toe the other day, and yeah, I probably would blame it on my dogs. I love how he blames others for his own failure. Like, he is the typical 70s anime villain. And so even when the other antagonist was honestly, do we need to go over? I mean, no, we, we don't need to go over any of them, but I will say like they're, they're masters. Super cool. I, I don't know the name of the main bad guy, like the one with the giant cloak and the skull shoulder pads. Oh yeah. And whatever Captain that Gallimos. weird green parasite is on his shoulder. He gets virtually no screen time and is completely unresolved by the end of this. It's Gallimus. Uh, Gallimus, yes. They, Gallimus, yeah. thank you. But uh, yeah, the thing about Gallimus is that it's honestly like, it's the same thing like Ixer 1, where you never really see those main villains outside of the beginning. They shift their focus to the characters that work in the show. They just go, well, we have this big bad here, Captain Gallimus. It's it's like Gallimus. They spell it wrong in the U.S. renditions, if I'm not mistaken. I do need to watch it again, but I can tell you guys there's a reason why you want to watch the U.S. rendition original subtitle because there are some hilarious spelling errors if you're looking out for them, and especially the sidekick wave. But yeah, Galamos just like, I'm big and scary. And then just totally cast aside once they bring Gilberg into the picture. And that's how every other bad guy is in the series. There's even like a bad guy Dan Gaio team that nobody cares about because they're just stereotypes. All I remember about them, I don't even know their names. I think one of them was named Jack, and Jack was voiced by the narrator from Legend of the Galactic Heroes. The only thing I remember about them, aside from the female being very important, is that one of their members looks like a Ferengi from Star Trek yeah. The Next Generation. He has your typical, like, old man voice, too. Old man voice? He's got old man sunglasses. <laughs> right, right. Once again, just talking bad guy stereotypes. And speaking of so. stereotypes, I think that sort of brings us to the story of Dan Gaio. And honestly, there's not much to talk about here. It's your typical 80s robot show. Bunch of teenagers yeah. escape from psychic prison. Pilot super awesome robot for mad scientist. Take on the baddie of whatever the three episodes are. The first episode establishes the origin story. Second episode is Lamba's episode. Third episode deals with a role. The thing is, is like there are significant things, but it moves so fast that if you're not paying attention in those second two up ep- in the second and third episode, you're going to be like, hey, wait, what did I just watch? The first episode, I know that it's the longest and it does set everything up, but it moves at breakneck speed. And that's why I like the whole fact that Mia finally gets to Earth, wants to stay on Earth. Everybody's like, we just blew up this robot. What if you're on Earth? And all of this stuff. Oh, here's some candy. Okay, I guess I don't need to be on Earth anymore. It's like, oh. And then I just love that they defeat Gil right away. It's just kind of like, boom. (laughs) It's such a squash of when that fight is because it's so one-sided and perfect. And it looks great. The emotional moments, like, they're there, but you don't really get that many uh, moments for everything to just settle in. And if I'm not mistaken, there's like a summary. The second episode is only like, what, 20 minutes long at best because they they open up the first episode. Yeah, the second they episode open up opens with... with a 10-minute recap. Yeah, it's like a, a 10 or 12-minute thing. It, it just, it goes on and you're just like, oh, okay. But I watched this and if you watch it, if you're watching it all together, it just feels like you're wasting time. But you kind of have to watch it because it does look like they change a few things here and there. And also there's a little bit of dip in quality with the recap. Yeah, there's a there's one thing that I almost forgot to mention regarding this. Because the third episode, I would say the third episode is the weakest, not just in terms of story... But also because there is no HD master for the third episode. The third episode's master was apparently lost in an earthquake. So they used like old Laserdisc masters 
and it looks really grainy. I can still tell the animation looks great, but going from the crystal clear remasters of episodes 1 and 2 to episode 3, it just hits you like, whoa! <laughs> Absolutely, and uh, you don't really notice it too bad on the DVD, at least in the, when I've had the manga DVD in the past, but you can notice it watching it now on a computer. I've noticed it because I have a friend who recently who gave me Dangayo on Blu-ray and definitely, yeah, it's there. You have a fun time watching it, but uh, episode three just... It does hit you in the quality in a way. It's kind of like how there's never going to be a perfect version of Gundam 0080 because they don't have the masters for it anymore either. Yeah, or as I mentioned, the J9 trilogy, Briger, Baxinger, and Sasuriger. The Blu-rays for that are going to look terrible because they don't have the original masters for those. Right, that's why I tell people if they buy Gundam 0080 on Blu-ray, what's the point? <laughs> but yeah, going back to the story, the first episode really just looks the best it moves at a breakneck speed but i just say that the first episode which i have seen the most i say that the story is pretty generic they gotta go to earth and they have this big mecha battle with gil and it's so much fun the second episode is just kind of like oh it's it's the little girl princess story you know the meekest character gets her own story i don't know why but she does I guess that they were just, the writers were just like, I don't know, went to sleep or something or just like, oh God, we're so drunk. We have this huge budget and we spent it all on booze. What are we going to do? Oh, and then show is probably like princess girl story. What are we going to do for the final episode? Uh, the boy, the kid, <clears throat> teenage boy, or just give him, give him, make him the reluctant hero. But he's been cool this whole time. <laughs> make him the reluctant hero. What are we going to do for an absolute ending of this OVA? I don't know. Fuck it. Just don't end it. I, I will say the final scene of this really does reach out and grab you. Like the final battle that Dan Gaio has, I was on the edge of my seat for it. But once it ended, I was like, yeah, okay, that's it for this show. Yeah, it doesn't. Honestly, it looks great and everything. <sighs> the final battle was awesome, but just what it resolves into, they leave it wide open. They don't tie it nice with the bow like any OVA should if it has multiple parts like this, to be honest. I think that the ending of Dangayo is honestly a big slap in the face, and especially what we get afterwards in the Dangayo universe. Now, I have read because... I did a little bit of research that the Super Robot War games actually do try to tie everything together with the ending of Dangayo. But as much as this thing looks great, just the absolute ending for this is such a bummer. When I saw that ending, I kind of was a little angry, but ultimately I kind of just coped with it, threw up my hands and said, okay, this is what was common for the time. Like, the closest thing I can compare it to is the Devil Man OAV from the 1980s, where it's not a complete ending, but where it ends, it fits for what it was. And that's something yeah. you kind of have to accept with OAVs. If an OAV ends and you feel unsatisfied, you just have to accept that it's fine for what it is. Absolutely. Or it can just end out like absolute trash, like uh, Tokyo Revelation, and just go, oh, wait, I had to play like two or three Shin Megami Tensei games just to get what's going on. Damn it. <laughs> or it could end like Bubblegum Crisis. Yay. Yes, it can. I'm sorry. Uh, I love Bubblegum Crisis, but that final episode is garbage. Absolutely. You get a power creep with all the characters, and then they then some of them die off, and then everyone's like, Okay, oops, all berries, done. That's pretty much it. I mean, you agree with me, right? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> I mean, you said it earlier before we went on air, Dan Guy was very much the definition of all sizzle and no steak. But damn it, even if there is no steak, what a sizzle it is. Absolutely, absolutely. That's what I take out of OVAs, 1980s OVAs, or anthologies such as Neo Tokyo Robot Carnival. You show them to somebody and they go, oh, I was left with nothing, but God damn it, that sizzle was great, wasn't it? It's pretty much like having a whole pizza to yourself. Like, let's say a famous 
chef makes a pizza for you and you don't share it with your friend. That's kind of like what watching these OVAs are like. I highly suggest them, but at the same time, if you want a complete story, you are going to feel dissatisfied. But I cannot recommend Dangayo enough to people. I was actually going to make the pizza reference because I, I said, I thought to myself, Dan Guy was very much like eating a really good pizza from a really good pizza joint. Yeah, it's not the best thing for you and you're probably going to regret eating that whole pizza. But damn it, if that's not some damn good pizza. Right. It's good going down. You feel satisfied from it. Well, in a way, you feel satisfied at the time with it. And especially those first two episodes in those perfect Blu-ray restorations. You watch them and you go, okay, I can get down with this. But then basically episode three is like having a really bad whiskey and Coke with too much whiskey and not enough Coke. And you just accept it for what it is. You just go, well, this one drink got me buzzed. Uh, Okay, it is what it is from that same pizza joint. Like I said, once again, I just have to really recommend Don Gallo. It is the masterclass in what to do with the OVA and what not to do with an OVA. Um, it's something if you want to show off the pinnacle of 80s and also to show off that, you know what? These guys did have fanboy boners for 70s mecha people because like we both brought up earlier in the show, they're all there. I think it's a perfect blend of the 70s and 80s put together. And I think that's why Dan Gaio works for itself. And I would have to agree with you, Race. Dan Gaio, not the best for 80s OAVs, but damn it, it looks great. It's got everything you'd want. Psychic battles, giant robots, hammy villains. It just comes together, even if it doesn't stick the landing, even if it just comes all crashing down at the end, it is such a fun watch. And you can watch the whole thing in one sitting, and that's what why I recommend it. You could show it to a friend and have a good afternoon. Yeah, I definitely want to show this to uh, one of my co-hosts on anime night. I think that they would at least get a kick out of it. When I show this to people every so often, they're just like, okay, what are we watching? And I'm like... You'll see. And then when they absorb it, because you can kind of do things in the background if you wanted to, like if you were, you know, playing on your phone or something, you can still get what's going on in Dungayo, believe it or not. You can, if you look up at it and go, oh, yeah, okay, there's a battle going on. That's cool. Oh, they're talking. Okay, now I have to pay attention. I've always had Dungayo on in the background through most of my viewings of it growing up, but I suggest it. I mean, you're going to get what you get from it. And that's it. And that's the bottom line. Of course, this wouldn't be the last we'd see of Dan Gaio, because for whatever no, reason, no. because Toshiki Hirano demanded it, we no. got a sequel in 2001, I think it was. And it's honestly a sequel that nobody wanted. I'm going to tell you guys that I haven't seen it in a long time on purpose. Yeah, great Dan Gaio is its name. Yeah. And all I really, you know, if we want to talk about it and go through it, I just have to tell you this, and I'm going to remember it when if we ever go through to Great Don Gaio together. Basically, once you finally get the steak, it's too cold. But there is a lot of fan service. And what I mean by fan service in Great Don Gaio is that they really make a lot of callbacks to the original OVA. And that's really what the show is. Once you finally get the steak, it's cold. Hey, Race, guess what you're going to be reviewing with me in the future? Don't tell me. But that's going to do it for this installment of the Otaku Nate Show. If you like what you hear, be sure to follow us on Spotify, on SoundCloud, and on Podbean. Next time on the Otaku Nate Show... We are going from hot-blooded robot pilots kicking ass against aliens to something a little more grounded in reality. It is the story of a young high school girl with a dream. A dream to have sex with 100 guys before she graduates. Will she succeed or not? We'll find out next time in Begata HK, Yamada's first time. So before we go, Race, do you have anything to plug? Well, I I think that that girl who wants her all of her holes plugged, God, that sounds like a bad teen comedy from 2001. Not an anime that I'd want to watch. Well, maybe. 
there are a lot of things I'd like to plug. Um, if you guys are into a lot of anime hot takes on Twitter, I'm always there putting down some anime hot takes and having fun with a lot of the community that I've built on Twitch. You can check me out on twitch.tv slash racerx. I'm always playing a lot of uh, obscure retro games, some classic games and of course indie games and giving them my honest opinions and having fun along the way we've got a great community and you can always come to me and talk about whatever you like we're a very open and loving community as well so you can check me out once again twitch.tv slash racer x i'm also a musician i play guitar in a band called audrey burn you can check us out audreyburn.bandcamp.com and oh yes one last thing i play guitar in a band called sisterhood in detroit and collaborate with a lot of other musicians so thanks for having me on nate i really had a great time you're always a good time on here race so until then this is otaku nate and this is racer x aka race rebel and we're signing off and saying cross fight dan gaio (laughs) 